Good morning everyone and welcome again to Stapleford Baptist Church morning service on this, uh, well I'm hoping it's a sunny uh, July Sunday morning, um, It's the sun's out a little bit on this Saturday morning when I'm recording it but it's uh, it's great to be able to do it again and to have this opportunity, this opportunity to sing, to praise God together, to look at his word together and to listen to him. Just to give you the heads up we're going to be looking at Psalm 51 uh, and we're also going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1 so if you want to uh, have your Bibles ready so you can look at them at the right time. Dave Pulse is going to read for us from Philippians 1. Uh, looking forward to that. It's great. Katrina is going to speak to us as well um, and especially to the younger ones and to, to help them. Uh, we have that opportunity together. So I hope you're well uh, and I hope everything's uh, continuing as it does. Real life just keeps going, doesn't it? Uh, and different things. It was great to see those of you that were at the meeting on Tuesday. Thank you for that. Uh, also saw Brian during the week, um, Brian Kinderman, and it was his birthday on Friday. So a big happy birthday to Brian for Friday. Hope you had a, uh, a good day. Uh, certainly won at golf, so I guess that went some way towards it being good. Uh, well done, Brian. Um, well played. Uh, yeah, and it was good to see you. So if anyone else got a birthday, just remembering you as well. Happy birthday. Uh, any other anniversaries and different things. And we still look forward to that time when we can sing, when there'll probably be one person sat down and everybody else stood up and that person singing to everybody but we'll see how that goes um, in a few months time um, let me pray and then we'll head on into the things we're thinking about today our theme is joy that's what we're thinking about the second part of the fruit of the spirit let's pray shall we father we uh, we ask that you would be with us we ask that you would help us to worship to praise you um, we may become familiar with where we're doing it now in our front rooms or dining rooms or sheds or wherever we are Help us to, to sing that praise as though we're with each other. To lift up your name, we pray, as we sing together. Help us to listen, Lord, to your word. Help us to, to leave this morning with a deep joy in our hearts, having looked at these particular passages together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 1, 12-27 now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has appeared to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord to dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, and others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not selfishly, supposing, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to, de to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my boast, my being, you, with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. One of the things that the Bible does, as well as telling us how to behave in certain circumstances and situations, is that it shows us, it gives us lots of examples of people. Um, but I mean, they're not written down as examples. They're real people's lives recorded for us so that we can see and understand. Now, this is really important when we come to a subject like joy, because uh, we want to we know what we're supposed to do. So Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. But we can read that and we can think, well, what does that mean in this situation? Or do I really have to rejoice when that horrible thing happens to me? Well, we can learn and see not just from what we're told um, to do but from what we're told other people did and that, that's a real encouragement I think in the Bible it's, it's, it's great isn't it it's lots of stories within a bigger story it's God's story they're true stories they're they're real stories about God how God interacts with people helps people is there for people how people trust him or how they don't trust him there's bad examples as well as good examples and as I said that's really helpful when we're thinking about something like joy the second part of the fruit of the spirit we looked at, at love last week and this week we're thinking about joy because we want to know how in certain situations don't we we've got questions when we read that chapter 4 and verse 4 we want to think well what about this or what about that and uh, we're going to think about some of those things today because I think that is really important for us Joy needs to be a priority for us. It needs to be something that we want God to, to grow in us by his spirit. And there are so many verses that talk about joy. I mean, far too many to mention in one sermon. You get this up on a Bible app or a concordance, you look at the word joy and it just... There's loads, which is great, isn't it? It's great that one of the, the major themes of the Bible is joy. That's fantastic. That's really encouraging. Just in this letter in Philippians that we're going to think about later on in the sermon, 16 times it comes up. It's known as the letter of joy. So it seemed to make sense to, to go there this morning for this particular talk. But I'm just thinking, you know, how do you, how do you plot a way through with a subject like joy? A bit like love last week. I mean, thankfully with love, you've got that great chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. But what, what do you do with something like joy? Well, I sat down on Monday morning to do my quiet time unbeknown to me that God was just going to reveal it all very very straightforward and simply I didn't know this before Monday morning and I just sat there and I just picked up my Bible and I'm just looking at three particular books at the minute I'm in Psalms Proverbs and Philippians it's not a Bible uh, reading plan where you have to look at books beginning with the letter P that's just the way it is that's just how I've got to so the day before actually I was in the Ephesians um, and just as that finished I went into Philippians. So I pick up the Bible and I think, right, okay, I'm not trying to particularly think about the sermon. I'm just trying to think about what God wants to say to me 
on that day on Monday morning and I want to read it and I want to think about it and I want to pray through it and so I pick it up and I'm reading through Proverbs chapter 14 and this verse jumps out at me Proverbs 14 and verse 10 it says each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy and I thought oh that's good joy that's interesting because I'm speaking on joy on Sunday morning and didn't really think anything else of it although to be fair having a quick look through there's quite a lot in Proverbs on joy. You know, if it's something you want to learn about and think about, then look at Proverbs. Do the treasure hunt through Proverbs and look for that word joy and think about where it comes, whether it's your joy or bringing joy to somebody else. They're all there. That would be a great thing to do. Look for those pearls of wisdom in Proverbs. But then I I, I turned to Psalm 51 um, and I'm thinking about Psalm 51. I've just read Psalm 50 the day before, so I'm thinking about Psalm 51. And I know, and I guess some of you know, that that's the great confession psalm. That's the great psalm of confession that David comes before God after everything that's happened with Bathsheba and Uriah. And I'm thinking about Psalm 51, and I'm reading through it, and I'm thinking, you know, there's not going to be any joy here. <laughs> this is about, this has been an awful situation, awful circumstances. This is, you know, David coming before God and, and saying that he's sorry and pouring out his, his heart before him. When actually I realised, I mean, we'll take it, I'll take you through it in a minute, we'll, we'll think about it together. But I, I suddenly realised as I was reading this that, that actually sin robs you of your joy. Sin robs you of your joy. Now that's not a, you know, <gasps> really, you know, moment. I mean, it's just a sort of reminder, of course. I mean, we know that. I hope you do. But but it, it is a reminder. And it is something that we do need to be reminded of often. Because the, the thing is, we think that sin will give us joy. <laughs> we think it will provide something good for us. And it never, it always robs us of the real joy that we should have in the Lord. And that's what we see with David as he comes before God has made one of the biggest mistakes of his life with Bathsheba and then with her husband Uriah. But he comes before God in wholehearted confession, pours out his heart, but then gets to the point when he asks for joy. And I couldn't believe it. I'm thinking, wow, I mean, it came up in Proverbs. Now it's coming up in Psalm 51. So let me just take you through it um, and we'll just think about that together. Sin robs us of our joy. Now, I guess I just want to say, actually, there's a, there's a bigger title to the sermon, which is this. Sin robs us of our joy, but circumstances don't have to. Sin robs us of our joy, but circumstances don't have to. We'll get to the second bit a little bit later. The first thing we're going to think about is that first one. Sin robs us of our joy. Psalm 51, please open it. Please grab it. Um, we're going to read through it, the first 12 verses. And I'm just going to pull out a few things to try and help us uh, to see this. So the first one, verses 1 to 6, this is what David says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression, transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet 
You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. He's confessed. He's, he's, he's been completely honest, hasn't he, before God. He's saying, I haven't got a leg to stand on. And after the confessing, he goes on to ask for cleansing. So verses 7 to 9, and joy is part of this. Listen to this. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. His sinfulness and realisation of it leaves him feeling crushed. You see that? Crushed. And he wants relief. He wants to hear joy and gladness rather than the doom and gloom phrase that we might use that he's in. But he goes further. He then asks for future purity. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And then the important thing, verse 12, that we're leading up to, that we're thinking about, this sort of, again, it, it just jumped out at me. I'm not expecting joy. But here we are, we're in verse, Psalm 51. We get to verse 12 and David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me and I was amazed sat there in the garden it was a nice morning on Monday I sat there and I'm reading this and I'm thinking there's that quote from Proverbs and now we see it right here in Psalm 51 what I thought was just about confession and it made me realize you know often in confession I, I confess and I repent and that's what I think it is but actually what we see here is there's another step there's the confession, there's the Lord, I'm sorry, help me to turn away from that thing. I turn away from it, I repent from it, it's gone, I've put it behind me, I'm moving forward, I'm going in the direction you want me to do. But there's something wonderful, isn't there, then? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I don't do that. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not joyful in the Lord, but I, but I don't realise that third step that David puts in here. I know that sin can rob me of joy. But God is so gracious, he will restore that joy to us when we confess and repent and ask for it to be restored. It's wonderful. We see that here in this psalm. You know, David's just trusting in the Lord. He's not looking to anything else. He's, he's not saying, well, you know, it was Bathsheba's fault. You know, she shouldn't have been on the roof, if you know the story. 2 Samuel 11, you can look it up. It was Uriah's fault. He should have gone home. No. You know, it's interesting that this these sins that David is dealing with, you know, it's not that he's, he, what we might call small sins, although there isn't such a thing. Sin is sin, but we might think of smaller things rather than bigger things. This is adultery and effectively murder. He's seen Bathsheba and he's thought, I want her. And he's orchestrated things to, so that he can sleep with her. He's slept with her. She's become pregnant. His, her husband is away fighting for David and for the kingdom and he thinks right now I'm in a mess I need to get Uriah back so he gets Uriah back and he uh, wants him to then go home uh, and sleep with his wife so that when she gives birth there'll be no problem well that's the time when he came home but he won't do it Uriah is a man of character and he just sleeps at the doorway and he says you know if if 
my fellow soldiers are fighting on the front line, I'm not going to come back and enjoy my wife. And it's incredible, isn't it, how he does that. And then David's in this quandary and David does, puts him in a no-win situation. He sends him back to the front with a letter and he basically has to go right at the front and he ends up getting killed. And you think, how can God forgive that? I mean, how can God forgive that? Well, effectively, he offers that forgiveness to David like he offers it to us. The forgiveness is exactly the same route for us as it was for him. Forgiveness for David's sin and for our sin is going to be dealt with by him paying the price for it on the cross. He's not going to glance over it. He's not going to ignore it. He's not going to pretend it doesn't matter. You know, Uriah's blood is crying out for justice and it will get it when Jesus dies in David's place on the cross. God can forgive because he will take the punishment that sin deserves. It's on the cross that verse 1 really starts to come alive for us. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, it's on the cross where we see the depth of the unfailing love of God, where we see the great compassion of God for us. He will take our sin upon himself. And you know, David hasn't tried to squirm out of it, argue against it or call for extenuating circumstances. He knows he's a sinner. So he comes before God and he confesses. And he throws himself upon God's mercy, upon God's unfailing love, upon God's great compassion. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to do the same. Have you realised that God can take your sin and wash you clean and give you a joy of salvation? You can know that you're saved. You can know that you're rescued by him. If not, ask him. Ask him. Come before him. Use this psalm, if you like, as a, uh, as a, as a model. Go through it and, and mean it as you, as you say it, as you pray it. You know, if you've lost the joy of your salvation, or you're feeling like you've lost the joy of your salvation, it may be that it's been robbed by sin, and you haven't been confessing, and you haven't been repenting, and you haven't been asking for restoration of that joy. It could be. It could well be. Maybe that's what you need to do. That became clear to me on Monday morning as I'm sat there, reading this sin can rob us of our joy but through confession and repentance we can ask for it back brilliant brilliant okay so we're nearly at our passage for today uh, thank you for being patient we've looked at another one as well i didn't have it read um before because i knew i was going to read it during the sermon so uh, we didn't need to but we're going to get to Philippians chapter 1. I'm sat there, I'm doing my quiet time, I've got the Proverbs, I've got the Psalms, I've seen joy, I've seen joy. And then we turn to the book of joy. I mean, you know, God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? And so there he is and he speaks again and it helps me to understand this next point. I see that the first point that is sin that can rob us of our joy. But then I see this next point, which is what we often think will rob us of our joy, which is bad circumstances actually don't have to circumstances 
don't have to rob us of our joy and yet they're often the things that do. That's what takes our joy away. We can often be grumpy or down or gloomy or frustrated or feel like it's all just too much. You know, at the moment we use phrases, don't we? Um, I don't know where they are. I've jumped ahead too much in my notes, but we use phrases like, you know, I can't cope with any more. You know, if one more thing happens, I'm going to snap or whatever it may be. Family problems, work situations, all becoming a bit too much. And we're living in times where those things are intensified, aren't they? You know, uh, job security, maybe it's people, I know there are, I know there's people out there, not sure what's going to happen with that. This whole furlough thing that's been going on, family situations, you know, the world hasn't stopped just because we've had to stop. <laughs> just because we've had to go on lockdown. Things have continued, illnesses and things like that. These are things that continue to happen. And they're the things that can rob us of our joy. But, say it again, they don't have to. Sin will. Circumstances don't have to. Because our joy can be in something else. Our joy can be in something else. And that's what we're shown in Philippians 1. You know, when Paul gets to chapter 4 and verse 4 and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Go back to chapter 1 and think, well, that's what he did. Because he did. And this is what we see, and it's laid out for us as we look at it. So maybe you want to turn to that passage if you've got your Bibles open. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, and we're going, we're going to think about what we learn here from Paul. Well, as we see in verse 12, Paul says, The gospel, the good news about Jesus being the Saviour, dying for us and offering us that new life, is advancing. It's going forward. Great. We can be joyful in that and we should be joyful in that because that's what really encourages Paul and gives him joy at this particular moment in time. Paul says that what has happened to him has served to advance the gospel. Well, what has happened to him? Well, verse 13, we see that he's in prison. He's in chains. That's a pretty big thing, is it? Isn't it? As far as bad circumstances go, that's right up there, isn't it? Like, you know, one of the worst in prison. Had his freedom taken away from him. Can't go where he wants to do what he wants. He's, he's there in prison. I wouldn't fancy that at all in any way, shape or form. If we keep reading, we see that actually it's worse than that. It's not just, you know, he's in prison for a few months and then he knows he's going to be released. He doesn't know which way it's going to go. He's got a trial awaiting. So if we look at verses 19 to 26, you see this thing where he's, he's not sure what's going to happen. He's not sure if he's going to live or if he's going to die at the end of verse 20. We see that clearly. He doesn't know which way it's going to go. And actually, he's not trying to second guess um, the, the trial or what, what evidence there is or anything that anybody knows. He's actually trying to think through whether one would be better than the other because of what he knows and because of where his joy is located. Is he going to live or is he going to die? Well, whichever he knows that he's going to be with Jesus. He sums it up in verse 21, isn't it? Most, probably the most famous verse in Philippians. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He keeps going and he thinks, you know, he's probably still got some work to do. Actually, you don't think God's finished with him on earth. Yet, what is that work? He tells us at the end of verse 25 as he's reasoning through it. I will continue with all of your with all of you. What for? For your progress and joy in the faith. So what have we got? 
We've got a man in prison, awaiting trial, not knowing which way it will go. He may die, he may not. How does he respond? Well, he looks around at what God's doing. He hears from people what's going on outside, and he hears what God's doing. He sees people are being brave for Jesus, verses 12 to 14. They're stepping out and telling other people about Jesus. They've been emboldened because Paul's in prison, not the other way around, as you might expect. He knows that their motives are mixed. We see that in verses 15 to 18, that there are some that do it out of love because they, uh, they love him and they want the gospel to progress. There's some that are jealous of him and they want to do it to get him into more trouble. I mean, that seems a bit strange, but there, there it is in those verses. You see it. So you've got the love, but you've also got the selfish reasons of people wanting to get him into trouble. So actually that adds to uh, something else. We've got three things. Paul's in prison. Paul's awaiting trial and doesn't know which way it's going to go. And Paul has enemies who are trying to make things harder for him. Now they've got to be three of the worst circumstances that people are going to face. You know, if you've got an illness that comes in the second one, we don't know if we're going to live or die. Paul hasn't, but that's where we're at prison not knowing and you know not knowing with the real chance of dying and enemies look at the end of verse 18 because of this I rejoice because of this I rejoice now not because of the circumstances he's not rejoicing because he's in prison he's not rejoicing because he's got the trial and he's not rejoicing because he's got enemies that's not what he's saying because Actually, uh, just before that, we're told he rejoices because Christ is preached. That's the most important thing. That this gospel message that he knows about, that has been so liberating for him, that has brought him true spiritual life, that will go through the grave so that he will be with Jesus forever in eternity, is going forward. People are hearing about it. And because of that, he rejoices. When the circumstances would tell him not to rejoice, he's not going to let the circumstances rob him of his joy. And not only that, we see at the beginning of verse 19, he's also going to trust God for the future. He says, verse 19, and I will continue to rejoice. Not just now, not just in these circumstances and difficulties. He responds with joy and it's decided that nobody is going to rob it from him. Nobody, not even these three difficult situations are going to rob him of it. Because his joy is in something bigger than the circumstances. Something bigger than this world, than this life. His joy is in the Lord. You see why David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because it was bigger than anything else that is here. It was bigger than anything else that exists. Paul knows that death cannot rob him of Jesus. Therefore, he rejoices. Paul knows the gospel is advancing and going forward. Therefore, he will not be robbed of his joy. Which all contribute to show us that circumstances don't have to rob us of joy. Sin will. That's what it does. Promises something that it can't deliver. But circumstances don't have to. 
If we sin, we confess, we repent, and we ask for our joy to be restored. If we're in difficult circumstances, we need to learn as Paul did and grow in joy. That's what the Spirit is seeking to do in each and every one of us. Help us to grow in joy so that in those circumstances we can trust in something bigger and something better. That's the challenge. Sin will rob us of our joy. Circumstances don't have to. Are we going to grow? Are you going to grow in your joy? In those circumstances, praying, asking God to be with you, to continue to give you that joy of your salvation, knowing that even if the worst happened, the worst death for us effectively, he's already dealt with that. And then we can push through and be with him. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, I thank you for the way in which you speak. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this um, this topic, this fruit of joy being so prominent within it, that it is something you want us to do. Oh Lord, help us. Help us to be those that grow in joy. Um, you know, a deep-rooted joy that comes from something bigger than ourselves and bigger than our circumstances. Help us to know that sin will rob us of that. And yet in your grace, your mercy, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, you will restore it to us. And Lord, if there's any of us now that need to confess, I pray that you'd lay that on our hearts and would come before you and would do that. And if there's any now that have been robbed of their joy because of their circumstances, Lord, give them that sense of your presence to know that you are with them. Lord, help us to know ultimately, as Paul did, that, that you're in control, that you are sovereign, and therefore we can trust and we can be joyful and we can continue to rejoice. Help us too, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening again, everybody. We're, we're going to sing again and hopefully see you soon. God bless.